uh, I'm going to read them real quick. We're just going to do um, chapter 5 of the book of Matthew. Uh, I want to read them all, and then I'm going to take them back. I've got them on the screen, but one by one. Um, but I want to read it to you. If you have your Bibles with you, Matthew chapter 5. We'll start reading in verse 1 and go through verse 6. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Had it in my mind, we were going to do all of them this morning, until last night, and I thought, there's no way that we can do all eight of the Beatitudes uh, in one Sunday morning. So we're going to work our way halfway through it. We're going to get to verse 6. Uh, title of this sermon, it's really part one of this sermon of, that's part of a larger series. We'll say uh, next week we'll finish out the Beatitudes. Uh, but you, you heard this recurring word in these verses, blessed, right? And uh, if you, any of you are on social media, uh, you might have seen the hashtag blessed. You see people do that, right? They list out things. Uh, that have good things that have happened to them, they fin finish it with hashtag blessed. And if you're not on social media, what that means is when somebody puts that, then you can click it and you can see what everybody else has said, that, uh, that hashtag in it. So what are people blessed about? Uh, this blessed in this passage of scripture um, comes from a different approach maybe than we would typically think. But I did this last night. I, I've got on Facebook. I said, I'm just going to search for Hashtag blessed. Let's see what my friends are saying. All right. Our friends are on, on Facebook. You know, I got 2,000 or something. Um, so just because a friend on Facebook doesn't mean we're really close, right? We, it kind of makes us think that we are. But you can't be close to 2,000 people. Um, but at any rate, so I searched it, and, uh, and I got these lists of things. And I, I just I wrote down like the first one, two, three, four, five, six uh, that I saw. Um, and so I just want to share and uh, share what I found. Is that all right? Hashtag blessed. Anybody put that this morning, this weekend? We got one. One put hashtag blessed. Uh, what, what, before I share these, um, I, want us, I want you to understand that being blessed is about being happy. And it is natural in our state of mind, in our being, to yearn for that state, to yearn to be happy, to yearn to be happy. So I might ask you this morning, are you happy? What makes you happy? Are there things you're searching for that seem like they're going to make you happy, but they end up empty? And so let me read these things and uh, see, and we'll all say, yeah, I'd probably put that, but I probably shouldn't, right? After I just said what makes us happy. And all right, here, here's the first one. Uh, it had two other hashtags with it that said, new home, new pool. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. The next one, uh, the grandkids were coming over, bringing some joy. Hashtag blessed. Someone got a new job. Hashtag blessed. This was not mine. Uh, but it was somebody's, going fishing and hunting, uh, hashtag blessed, that sounds hashtag cursed to me, uh, I just, uh, I, I've gone fishing and went squirrel hunting once, long enough to realize I don't understand why, 
um, and I'm not patient enough, or I'm not patient enough, I can't be still and quiet. Uh, um, the next one was a picture somebody taken from their office or on a drive, it was a mountain view, it said, nice view from work, hashtag blessed. The sixth one was epic. It was a blanket they'd gotten for Christmas with their fraternity letters on it in college, and it said, hashtag blessed. I share those just because not to, and if you're one of those people that have shared one of those, I'm not, I'm not saying you did something wrong. I just want us to point out the natural state of all of us, right? To, to build our happiness or our, our blessed and our attitudes built upon what material things or what good things, worldly things have happened to us. You know, it's the first six I found uh, really had no spiritual depth to them. And if we were all honest, that's where we all are, okay? So I'm not, I'm not just picking these people out and saying, can you believe they did this? Because I've probably done it and probably would do it. But it speaks to, speaks to where we are. But this blessed that Jesus is talking about here uh, is about a spiritual joy and satisfaction that lasts regardless of conditions. Can you take that definition just for a minute? This is joy, this is happiness, regardless of conditions. What did everything I just read have? Conditions. They were all good conditions, right? So if you don't have a new home, or if you don't have a new job, or if you don't have the Christmas blanket and you don't make it into the fraternity, is there still joy? Is there still happiness? And so this is the depth that Jesus is getting to uh, here. We find we yearn for this, but we seek to fill it with things of the world, of the earth, whether it's position, money, fame, power, sensual pleasure. Uh, yet in 1 John uh, chapter 2, 15, 16, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, yet it's a struggle we all face every single day. I want us to remind us real quick here that as Jesus is talking and he starts this sermon, you notice in the first verse of chapter 5, the multitudes were there. But he went up on a hill and it says his disciples came to him. He brought his disciples to him and he was teaching his disciples. And as I was thinking about that yesterday, I thought, this is really like, this is, this is Jesus calling a staff retreat. Okay, if you can get in that mind for a minute. A leadership team. He, he's, he's going around and, and he's already performed miracles and doing all this crazy stuff in chapter 4. And people are trying to come to him. And, and Jesus had a plan all along. He knew that he alone, as a human being, could not reach all the people. This is true of the church today. I, as a pastor, cannot reach all the people. And I think he felt in his heart it was time to sit down with his leadership team, right? His, his disciples he had chosen, and he really needed to get into some deep things with them and teach them because he knew he was going to build a church, right? He, he was going to build a kingdom on earth of people whose hearts had been changed uh, by him and through him. And so think of that as this, and what's cool is we get to be like a fly on the wall, and hear what the, the one person who's made the greatest impact on the world, that even our calendar measures from the time he was born. From 2,000 years ago, we have this, this, this transcript of what he shares with his team, if you will, that are going to be responsible for sharing his message and building a church that might just still be around in Pikeville 2,000 years later. All right, are you in that frame of mind, that perspective? Let me put this picture back up here. I had a video last week, not going to share it again. 
But this is a picture of the hill uh, in which Jesus likely sat in the area with his disciples and looked out over the Sea of Galilee and taught this, this sermon we're getting ready uh, to go through. A couple of things of introduction before we jump into these. Um, one is this is, I don't want us to take this as a, uh, a list of options to choose from, right? These, these, are, these are characteristics of the Christian attitude. These, this is not a list like, oh, I could do that one and that one. Yeah, not that one. Uh, right? This is not a list of things you should try to do. This, this is a list describing the people who have had their hearts changed by Christ. Okay, and I said this last week, I'll say it again. This is not the list that says if you want to get into heaven, you got to do all these things. This is the list that says you're getting into heaven because Christ saved you and you have faith in him. And now this is what your life should look like. This is the attitude you should live with. This is what a Christian should look like. So this is a chance to do a, a little bit of self-analysis, self-reflection, right? As we go through this one, if you're not a Christian, you never profess faith in Christ, you can look at these and I hope you realize I can never do those things on my own. And that's what this is meant to do. It's meant to point you to Jesus, that that's your only hope, that I need Jesus in my life. Um, I need him to change my heart. Um, and then second, if we're Christians, uh, I think you will find, as I did as I went through these, there's some of these I thought, I do okay at that. And then there was others I thought, God, I need help in this area. I need help in this space. Um, and so I want us to, to come to it with that. Uh, that mindset and say, God, show me where I'm missing the mark. Show me where the devil has blinded me. And let me see how I can be more and more like you. God, change my attitude for the better today. None of us would say we don't want to have this type of, this unconditional joy, the happiness, right? That regardless of conditions, no matter what happens, we're, we have this kind of internal uh, joy and peace. Ephesians chapter 4, 23 through 24 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. All right, are you ready? We're going to jump in to the characteristics of the Christian attitude. All right, that's where we're at. We're getting ready to see what Jesus teaches about this one. I hope it doesn't feel like that this morning as we do four. Uh, so I read that first part of the chapter five, and here's the first thing. These are Jesus' first words. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going to take a framework about this, three different things we're going to look at on each one of these. One is going to be, this is what Christ is teaching Two is like the, the, the antithesis of that, what like our gut is, what our flesh, what the world kind of teaches us our attitude should be, the characteristics should be. And then we're going to look at the reward, the benefit for when we are in Christ and we have the attitude that he teaches. Um, so this first one, poor in spirit, this is not, uh, this is, this is not uh, poor in the bank account. All right, It says poor in spirit is not about... Uh, not having money or wealth or it's not financial at all. Uh, it, this is about uh, the way, uh, the best way I saw it described was spiritually bankrupt. Poverty, absolute abject poverty of spirit. Uh, this is uh, acknowledging that God himself is the author and finisher of our faith. You know, the Bible even says that our faith is a gift from God. 
This is, uh, this is about understanding that absolutely, without the help of Christ, we are spiritually broken and have no hope to be part in relationship with a holy God. This is spiritual bankruptcy. Um, it recognizes uh, the, the depth of the truth that absent Christ, in our relation with Christ, we have no desire for righteousness, really. The world teaches is the opposite of this, and this is what it is not, is a spirit of self or self-righteousness. Right? This, this idea of being poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt, is realizing that without Christ we have no hope. The opposite of that is the world teaches is you can do it on your own. Right? You, 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 could, you just, you just got to get your mind right, and it's all about you and the, the strength that you can provide, uh, and, that, and that you can do this on your own. And that's the exact opposite of what Jesus is teaching here. You've got to remember these disciples grew up hearing from the Pharisees who absolutely believed it was all about their own self-righteousness, that they were obeying all the laws and all the rules and being good enough and looked down on everyone else who wasn't. Um, another thought about this is that when, uh, when we... When we think that we ourselves are good enough and we're not spiritually popular, then, then I, want you to, I want you to just hear me out on this, uh, that you're as, you're as good as you'll ever be. Absent connecting to your creator who is much greater than you, has great purpose for you, has a call for your life. There's a point of your own accord, you're just going to get to a point and that's as far as you can go. Absent a relationship with Christ. We find their reward is the kingdom of heaven. We have this promise that when we have this spiritual poverty, this brokenness, this understanding, uh, that God forgives us. He forgives our sin. Uh, not only that, in the kingdom of heaven, we have fellowship with other believers and we become part of a family and we have access to eternal life. That's the kingdom of heaven. I found this, uh, this pretty neat thing online. It was called the Cursitudes instead of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes come from uh, a, a Latin word uh, and then the, the Greek word uh, that really just means happy. And it's best translated blessed. Um, but they said, what if, what if they said the exact opposite of what Jesus taught, that you know, cursed are? So I'm going to share each of those because it helped me kind of get in perspective the opposite of these, of what Jesus uh, was teaching. This is what... Uh, what it said, uh, this is not in the Bible, okay? Uh, this is just uh, for paraphrasing and try to help us understand this. You see at the bottom it says, not Matthew 5, 2b through 3. Uh, it says, cursed are the self-satisfied, for they are as good as they will ever be. As long as you think you're good enough, you're not striving for more and allowing God to grow and be in the midst of your life, all right? So that's the, that's the opposite. Uh, the next one, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is the most confusing one, right? Happy are those that mourn. Okay. What? Right? That's backward, isn't it? Happy are those that mourn, or blessed are those that mourn. 
This word that used here for mourn is like the strongest uh, word possible in the Greek for mourning. I'm sure we've all been uh, at, at a funeral where we've felt uh, maybe it was an unexpected passing of a child or a spouse, and we've, we've seen people absolutely broken to the point of, of crying and, and wailing and, and laying over their lost loved one. That's what this word means. This means a complete broken heart, brokenhearted. There's a bit of a, a connection here from the first one that says we realize we're spiritually poor. We don't have the relationship with God that we can't have because we're sinful. And we realize all that. Uh, and, and out of that, we're brokenhearted because we remember. We remember something. We know something. Uh, we know that we're helpless without God. And we know that that's what put Christ on the cross. We know that our sins put in there. And there's a couple things here in mourning and why we do this. Uh, one is we're just, we're desperately sorry for our sins and our worthiness to God. We're desperately sorry. You're broken hearted that, that Christ came and lived perfectly and he took the punishment uh, that we Deserve. Remember the publican in Luke chapter 18, he says, And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I think as Christians, we also mourn over the desperate situations and sufferings of others. I think you'll start to see that if you're, if you're a young Christian. Um, one of these, one of the people who uh, just recently joined the church, we asked for just a short testimony when you, when you, when you uh, are interested in becoming a member. Um, and uh, one of the things he included in his testimony was said that, that he was feeling this urge to serve others and take care of others. He said, I've never really felt that before, and I'm interested to see what God is doing here. And I think that's a great example of what Jesus is trying to teach here. When you give your heart to Christ, these attitudes begin to come out. They are anchored in him, not in you trying to be like this. But they're anchored in him. And, and what, what he's saying uh, is we'll be poor in spirit, and then we will have a brokenheartedness. Not only for our own sin against God, but also uh, for others. We'll have compassion. You see, Jesus complete, consistently had passion for the multitudes. You remember the story where he fed them? He looked around, he saw they were all hungry and they didn't have food. He said he had compassion on them. But he was mourning, he was broken for the sufferings of others. Sometimes we mourn when we experience our own personal tragedies or trauma. Sometimes we're like Jonah and have a little self-centered mourning. Right? It's called sulking. It's called being a baby. It's called, I didn't get what I want. Yet Jesus' promise here is that when we mourn, we will be comforted. What this is not, what the world tells us, it does not say blessed are those that mourn, it's happy are those that are happy. 
happiness at any cost. You ever met people who just go to parties? Yeah, I met some of these people in college. I mean, life was just, it was like, life was like from one party to the next. Their calendar was just about having a good time. Right, trying to fill your time and your days and your weeks up with things that are just fun. Right, and trying to find happiness in those things. Maybe it's a trip, maybe it's vacation, maybe it's, it's things we fill our lives up with just trying to be happy. They really never slow down enough to really think uh, about, um, uh, have any sensitivity about their spiritual relationship or uh, about bad things that are happening in their own life or other people's lives. You've met these people, right? I mean, it's just like they are completely blinded and in their own world and all about trying to fulfill themselves with happiness and good times. Um, I don't want us to think, because uh, we're going to see this in a minute, I don't want us to think that, man, God, so far, man, Christian sounds like being great. Sounds real fun. So we're poor and we're sad. Sad about everything, and we're poor. Okay, this is sounding great. Want to be a part of that? Sign me up. You'll find in a minute when we get to these benefits that we have reason to have great joy. Blessed is the first word he's saying here that joy and happiness is the cornerstone of this. But the world will teach us we can fill our lives with sensual things and things that will make us happy, and there's where we will find happiness. Bible says you'll enjoy that type of lifestyle for a season. Let's see what uh I've yeah, I've got his the 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 curse of this one up here. I'll show in just a minute. First let's look at the reward comfort. When we're a child of God, when we're his, we'll find comfort when we mourn. We'll have a settled peace within. We'll have an assurance that he's forgiven us, that he's accepted us. We'll have a sense of, I love this, we'll have a sense of God's presence, care, and guidance no matter what's happening in our life, good, bad, no matter what the conditions are. We'll know he's there. We'll know he's sovereign. We know he works all things together for the good of those that love him. And then we can know from Revelation that eventually he's going to wipe away all our tears that all these former things are going to pass away, all these struggles and all these trials are going to be gone, and we will be comforted. This was the cursitude. I want you to just settle on this for a minute. Cursed are the party goers, for soon the party will be over. That's pretty rough and true. Someday those who have given no thought to God that have lived a life of what they thought was fun and joy that someday at some point the party will be over. Blessed are the meek. Alright, so we're poor in spirit. We're sad. And we're not strong and powerful. We're meek. We turn the other cheek. So just going great. Um, meekness here does not mean weakness or cowardice. Jesus himself referred to himself as meek. Moses was referred to as one of the most meek people ever. This is Moses. 
referred to as meek, yet he stood in front of Pharaoh, who was arguably the most powerful man in the world at the time, and demanded him let his people go. Yeah, he was a little nervous at first. He's afraid he couldn't talk, and God had to send somebody with him to go. But he stood before the most powerful man on earth and demanded he let God's people go. Uh, this idea of meek is friendly and pleasant. And you all are thinking about some Christians you know that need to work on this one. You know, the, the saddest thing I ever hear is sometimes a waiter will tell me, man, I hate Sunday afternoons. I've had, I've had them tell me that. That sometimes the church crowd can be the rudest, tip the least. Rude, right? That should not be the case. We should be the most friendly giving. And I just say, well, those are all the hypocrites. But Jesus said, blessed are the meek. And remember, these, these disciples, the Pharisees, everybody was waiting for a king, right? A king that would destroy Rome. Rome would come into their city, destroy their city. They'd read all the prophecies that God was going to send a Messiah, a prophet that set up a new kingdom. He's going to be a king. And in their mind, kings are powerful. And they're believing already that this Jesus, and they still don't have it figured out. You can go on and read the rest of the New Testament. They still don't have it figured out exactly what his kingdom is. And that he is not the king they thought he was going to be. And he says, blessed are the meek. And they're saying, no, not the meek, the powerful, the strong, the one that set up and be assertive and go destroy Rome. That's blessed and happy. And that's what the world teaches us. Well, some deeper traits here of someone who is meek. Let me read these for a second. Uh, controlled and disciplined. Humble, not prideful. Gentle, not easily provoked. Forgiving, not revengeful. Revengeful. I want to read you this uh, little sentence somebody wrote about it. It says, the meek have found themselves and they are comfortable. They have aligned themselves appropriately with their creator. Listen to this. They should be strong and confident, yet tender and humble. Strong and confident. We should be confident as Christians, yet tender and humble. Why? Because we know we have a spiritual brokenness, right? Poverty, we know that. I'm not standing on this in my own accord. I need God's help. I'm brokenhearted because Christ had to go, but he went, and therefore I'm thankful. And because of that, I have this humility about me, this meekness and this friendliness to know that I've just been saved. I've been loved. All the good gifts I have are out of God's mercy and his grace. This is not... Uh, uh, this is not abrasiveness. Y'all know abrasive people? Y'all don't know any abrasive people. Larry Joe shaking his head no. Rita shaking her head yes. <laughs> but there are people who are just not by nature friendly, right? 
I mean, like, you can have a 30-second conversation with them and be like, what just happened? Like, you could have said, you could have used a lot of different words to say what you just said, and I wouldn't be feeling so bad right now. Uh, but there are some people that just come right out and say whatever they're thinking, whatever they're feeling. They're not controlled. They're not disciplined. Uh, but us, as Christians, our attitude, we should be friendly. We should not have that abrasive attitude. It says, blessed are the meek. I got down here, my power is dangerous and cannot be trusted. That's why I must place my trust in the righteous power of God. If we trust our own power, and the world will, the world will tell us uh, uh, that uh, the world's trying to convince, always trying to convince the only way we can inherit the earth, the only way that we can, we can get things is to have power, is to be more powerful. I mean, we see this in politics, right? That the, the only way one side can win or God can do good is that you've got to be the most powerful, you've got to have the most seats. It, it's all about power. And this world t- tells us all the time it's about, it's about our power. You've met power-hungry people who are just looking to get to the top. They cut throats. They do whatever it takes uh, to get there. There's a reward here that says we'll inherit the earth. I think that means presently. We're not going to get everything. This isn't prosperity gospel that says because you believe you're going to inherit everything and have an amazing amount of wealth. What this is saying is, I think, presently, once we understand who we are and we have a relationship with God, I think we can enjoy the good things and the beauty of this earth better than anybody. I think we can see things in a different way. I think we can be blessed, and I think we can enjoy our time here and know that there's good in the world and all the good that's here was put here by God and it was a gift from him, I think we can enjoy this side. But eternally, the Bible also says there'll be a new heaven and a new earth that'll be under our dominion. Here's one to think about, the cursitude. This is not Matthew 5, 5. It says, cursed are the forceful, for they will end up with nothing. Cursed are the forceful, for they will end up with nothing. Does that help? Kind of frame it up. Hey, we're on our last one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know, as you can tell, I've never really gone without food that long. Um, to really know what real hunger is. Real hunger is me like skipping lunch, right? If I skip lunch, some people I'm meeting, they say, I just eat a pack of crackers for lunch. I'm like, how do you make it? How do you survive? I mean, I'm spoiled. I'm American. I got first world problems, right? Was that what they say? I've never been that hungry. Um, There's been times I've been thirsty. You ever been so thirsty that your mouth, is parched, like your tongue is parched. Like you just think, man, if I do not get a drink of water, I don't know what I'm going to do. You ever been there? Been that thirsty? That's a bad feeling, isn't it? That is the depth of what Jesus is talking about here. We should hunger and thirst after righteousness. We should be in such a shape that I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't get closer to Christ. 
to hunger and thirst after him. It's a reminder here, Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. It goes on to say there's only one righteous, and that's God, Jesus himself. There's two options you can do here, and the, the, neither one are good. Um, two ways we kind of get distracted here. One is you find people uh, who claim righteousness but don't do it. So what do I mean by that? They say, oh, I got saved. I can claim righteousness in, in Jesus Christ. He, 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 the Bible says by his blood my sins have been blotted out and I have righteousness. His righteousness is applied. My sin is as uh, white. What was crimson is now white because of the blood of Christ. So they claim righteousness, but then they don't live righteousness. Have you met these people? They claim it, but there's no fruit behind it. There's, their, their life isn't different. They're, they're, not, they're not meek, and they're, uh, they're, they're, not, uh, they're not mourning, and they're not broken in, in a way that they can empathize with other people, that they can, they can understand the situation that they're in, and they have mercy and the grace. And they're not bearing this type of fruit and compassion. And so they claim it, but they don't live it or they don't do it. The other option here uh, is... Uh, to do it, but not claim it in Christ. And this, this is kind of the legalistic approach, right? They're saying, I'm righteous because I've done all that. I do good things. This is the Pharisees. This is, this is, I've got a list of what's right and wrong. Some of it's even not even in the Bible. I've just added to it of what's good and how you should act and what you should do. Uh, and because I do these things, I am righteousness. I'm self-made in my righteousness. So they're trying to do the things, um, but they... Uh, neglect the righteousness of Christ and they forget that that's where our hope is anchored. This will cause us to live in constant fear and say, man, did I mess up today so much that God doesn't love me anymore. It'll cause us to judge other people and we think our own righteousness is because is why we're, why we're saved uh, and we'll judge and we'll criticize other people and we'll love doing that. We'll love looking at everywhere everybody else messes up. And forget that we do just the same. This does not say blessed are the righteous. Because there's not one, right? I said that. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. We are not righteous. Uh, but with Christ we can be counted as righteous. And when we become counted we hunger and thirst after more. We have a hunger to be more like him, to live out our life for him. This is not uh, pursuing our own personal needs. I love this one, though, and we're getting ready to end on, that says, for they will be filled. Got about half the church in here has heard of the Rolling Stones, probably. Maybe more. We all should have heard of the Rolling Stones. <laughs> They had this song, um, it was about chasing girls, listening to the useless information on the radio and advertisements on the TV. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all know the chorus. I can't sing it. Somebody could. I should have had Waylon work this one up. 
the end of this says, for they will be filled. The Rolling Stones had it right. It was a pretty theologically sound song, actually. They said, we've tried all these things. And they used a double negative. We can't get no satisfaction. Absent a relationship with Christ, that's the life you'll live. This is the opposite. Cursed are those with no hunger or thirst for God, for they will never find fulfillment. You'll never be satisfied. We find the promise here, the benefit, is that we're, if you, this is all from different scripture, we'll be full of God and goodness, filled with all knowledge and wisdom, filled with all the fullness of God, filled with the Spirit, filled with the fruits of righteousness, filled with the knowledge of God's will, filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. We will be filled. So let me go all the way back and say, are you hashtag blessed? That's where we started, right? Are we happy? What are we building our happiness upon? What are we searching for? Um... I made a little fake post this morning. I don't know if you can read it. Can, you might be able to read it. I can barely read it. This is just my attempt to take these first four and what Jesus is teaching to his disciples and say, if I reworded that and I was going to tell the world about it, how would I, how would I say it? Why am I blessed? Why am I hashtag blessed? And so I'm just going to read this to you. The first one says, without Jesus, I'm spiritually bankrupt. But with him, I'm part of the kingdom of heaven. My heart is broken over my sin and the desperate situations of others, but I have assurance of my forgiveness and acceptance of God through my faith in Jesus and a strong sense of his presence, care, and guidance in all situations. Isn't that more important than health or homes or new pools? Or I mean, aren't these things the depth of what we're yearning for and looking for in our life? says, I'm not power hungry. I realize the righteous power of God is where I should put my trust. And through his sovereignty, I will inherit the earth. I'm not righteous. But through Jesus, I've been counted as righteous. I've been given a hunger and a thirst to be more and more like him. In him, I've found fulfillment. And unlike Mick Jagger... Satisfaction. The void in my life is filled. Through my faith in him, I pray this morning as our singers come to sing one last song. As Jesus was teaching here, He was flipping the script, right? Yeah, it's flipped the script for us on what being blessed means. And as we look at these, these things as Christians, maybe God's put things in your heart and said, hey, you could work on this. Uh, you are that abrasive person. Or, or yeah, you've, you've really not sat down and wept or really been brokenhearted about anything in a long time. You got a lot of lost loved ones, and you kind of got to a point to where it's almost like you don't care. 
maybe you've got we've got to a point that we've gone to church so long we've done so many good things and we sin so little in our own minds that we've thought we have love and mercy and grace from Christ because of our own righteousness because of good that we've done and we forgot that our hope is only in him and maybe you've been hungry and thirsty about things of the world and been seeking for things that, that are not righteous and God's saying I'm bringing you back here you're my child be hungry and thirsty for me as you stand this morning we're going to sing this last song that I think speaks to the heart of these beatitudes that says this song says I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul just sing with us if God is done with your heart the altar's open to pray we're just going to worship God together and be thankful that he loves a nobody that these disciples that he had gathered around him for this leadership retreat uh, were just they were fishermen they were nobodies yet God knew what he was doing just like he knows what he's doing in your life with that this morning we can leave regardless of conditions in our life say God I am 